Welcome to the Profitable Python with your host, Ben McNeil. On today's show, you will meet Noah Gift. He is a lecturer and consultant at UC Davis Graduate School of Management, MSBA program, the Graduate Data Science program, MSDS at Northwestern, and the Graduate Data Science program at UC Berkeley. Noah is the author of two recent books, Pragmatic AI, An Introduction to Cloud Computing, and Python for DevOps, Learn Ruthlessly Effective Automation. Noah, welcome to the show. Hi, happy to, happy to be here. Yeah, thanks, thanks for joining us here. Before we even dive into any of the technical topics, I got to ask, are robots going to take over everyone's jobs? I think they're going to play a pretty big role at some point. And the future of automation is that if a human can imagine that something will be automated, it will be automated. It's something I, I've actually, I think I made this up. I, I call it the, the law, like the automator's law, which is that if you can imagine that something will be automated, it will be automated. Mm -hmm. uh, there, was, there was some other publication, I remember you, uh, there was a little snippet in there where it's uh, something about the motto, like if it's not automated, it's broken. Yeah, yeah, just, yeah, yeah. In general, I mean, a lot of the the work I've done in my life has been automating my own job, and it, and I've had a lot of angry people at me for for doing that, like like mm -hmm. yelling, screaming at me because I replaced the whole department, not not on purpose, to just you know, hey, why are we doing this? We're all coming in on Saturday. Why don't I just write a script and then eliminate it, and then people get very upset. Yeah, you, you really bring up something that uh, maybe we could just dig into a little more because sure. in, in a scenario like that, you could see how some people are just so like invigorated with the potential that, that you could do to bring value to the world. And then there's these other people that are like, oh my gosh, like, what is, what is my life going to turn into? Like, how do you, like, what is your um, recommendation that you would say to kind of like the fear-based people? Well, it reminds me a lot when I was in elementary school, I was pretty good at running. And I remember one of my really good friends wanted, told me to basically uh, tank the race. He was like, look, you won every year. And, uh, you know, I'd like it if you just like let me win. This <laughs> and I was, I was like, I was like, uh, no, <laughs> like, right. like it kind of feels like the same thing. It's like, it's like, just try harder. I, I, I mean, the, I, I think it's a little harsh to say that, but, but it, instead of fighting what's going to happen, just embrace it and be part of the solution. And then, and then you're going to be actually one of the wizards that knows how all the automation works. And, Cause it, it's never the case that all the jobs go away. It's that mm -hmm. they get higher paid and then the higher paid people are the ones that are doing all the automation. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think it's, it's the, the solution is be part of the, be part of the wave. Don't be underneath the wave. Perfect. Yeah, I love I love taking that positive approach. That's a mental game for anybody out there. Like, and you could probably say that for anything in life that's kind of intimidating. Just be be a part of the wave. I love that. So, how would you explain uh, machine learning to my ninety five year old grandmother? It's a way of discovering hidden patterns using software and also making predictions based on software so um you know like a good example would be you know if you had historical data for like uh, the nba um, by using machine learning you can make a prediction about what will happen in the future and then also the the other type of machine learning uh that is that is less commonly you know known is the unsupervised machine learning and that's really a way of automatically discovering patterns and and clusters of, of information. So you're, you're basically using it as like a, a tool of innovation, like a, like a, you know, like a, an inventor in a way it's like inventing things about data. Hmm. And the world is becoming so data driven. Uh, I mean, what, it, cause you've kind of seen the progression of this. I mean, it's, it's almost like uh, exponential and in, in the amount of data that we've created what is your what is your take on that? Like, can we possibly machine learn all that data, or is there a certain data that we shouldn't be applying machine learning methods to? Well, I think we're at a we're at an immature place right now, where the uh, a lot of the things that you see 
in the software industry, let's say 1999 or something, or, you know, 2003, like there's, I remember, you know, it was a 2003 was like web 2.0. And it's like, Oh, you know, like we can do JavaScript and websites and, you know, and, and then you build these like really kind of crappy apps that, you know, kind of work and kind of don't work. And, and, and then, you know, since then the web has gotten way, way smoother and, you know, people are doing things like DevOps and continuous deployment and, things like that. And it feels like that with machine learning as well as that there's a lot of um, really crappy workflows where the, uh, there is no automation with data. And mm. what I do think is going to happen is that just like with the software industry, things got cleaned up with DevOps, there's going to be like machine learning ops and there, and data ops where you, you have uh, like a maturity model where you, you, look at what your company's doing and go, you know, like if I can't automatically do machine learning by putting the data somewhere and then it goes through and creates a model for me, then there's a problem. And in the steps involved could be just like a build server, like, you know, automatically doing um, uh, descriptive statistics, automatically cleaning the data, automatically trying to f do some kind of a clustering. Uh, that's what I think is going to happen is that, um, a lot of the things that people are doing now currently as a data scientist, they, it, it won't actually be a job anymore. It, there'll be some automated processes that do that. There'll still be a lot of people that need to interpret the models and, and do machine learning, but it's the same way of like, you know, look at um, sysadmins and uh, DevOps where there's a lot of sysadmins that I think about for us the last two or three decades that, they did things like the exchange admin that that person doesn't exist anymore. I mean, maybe there's four of those in the world. I don't know, but, but now everyone uses web-based mail. I think the same thing is going to be said for some of the things that we're doing with machine learning um, and uh, data sciences. There's like the equivalent of these exchange admins all over the place. And it just doesn't need to exist. The, the, a lot of these things are going to be automated with higher level tools. Hmm. That's, uh, that's, an, that's interesting there because you see like even on um, some of like these data training uh, course platforms are basically, they talk about it as like data science and the income potential there, but really the rabbit hole goes so much deeper. Like you might need to have a background in data science, but really automation, it, it, it's automation is where it's at. Is that kind of what I'm hearing here? Yeah, I think, I think with any any career that involves software, the most money is going to be where you are, are, are one of the automators. So if, if you're doing, if you're doing like, like here, let's take a machine learning, if you're doing hyperparameter tuning, right. Which is like a, it is like a very specialized skill that you have to know a lot about, like, you know, gradient boost and like, you know, all, all these different algorithms and you know exactly what hyperparameter to select and all this stuff, but it's all, can be done by automation. So SageMaker, AWS has this where it automatically figures out the hyperparameters or scikit-learn and AutoCaris. And there's all these, there's all these tools that automate that. And, and I'm sure there's some people that are making a lot of money and mostly what they do is hyperparameter tuning. But that, that again, feels a lot like the exchange admin, like sure, for a while you can make a lot of money as an exchange admin, but that's not necessarily, I think a great career. Instead, if you are the person that's, let's say you're a, um, you know, the, the agent of change in a company and you're, 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 what you're trying to do is instead of the KPI of I'm going to get the best hyperparameters, your KPI is how many models does my company get into production and how good are they and how much, how quickly can I improve those models? That kind of a career I think is very lucrative and I think um, is in huge demand versus maybe there is a little bit of a short-term need for some of these like specialized roles. But, but I think that's from a career perspective, that's the direction I recommend. A lot of the students I teach, I recommend this is like, you, you want to be on that, you know, on the, on the, on the automation end of things, being the agent of change and getting things, thinking about what's, what's the KPI that you're, you know, that you're targeting. Like, what is it you're, you're trying to produce? Are you, are you trying to optimize for, you know, like, discovery or, you know, playing with the data or, you know, investigation, I think there's not that much demand for that. Or is it you're optimizing for something that's, that's very specific and tangible? Like, again, how many models did I get into production this week? You know, what was the accuracy? 
you know, how, how, how quickly d- does it take my company to make those models? Like those, those are the kind of questions I think are the big money job questions. Okay, perfect. That's uh, thanks for sharing that. Um, I, I feel like I'm somewhat of a connoisseur of learning about these things on the internet and the words that you just shared, they're really kind of like, I'm, I want to replay this part when we get done and, and pull that, pull that knowledge out of there. Thank you for sharing that. Um, so, so you, your personal brand that you've developed is being a, a, uh, a person that has sustained high quality output. To me, that sounds very like robotic. Like, are are you a robot? Well, I, I like, I, I guess I, I would say more like, I think like an athlete in, in okay. a way where, where uh, a lot, I've been involved in sports most of my life. And mm-hmm. to me, if you look at, uh, like, let's just take, um, you know, a basketball player like LeBron James, you know, why is he one of the best basketball players? Well, look at, look at his numbers. His numbers are that he, you know, is leading the league in these, sta- these categories year after year after year. It's mm-hmm. the sustained output at a high level over time that I think is shows that someone is, is um, doing well. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I try to do the same thing with what I'm doing is like, like, you know, how many books I, am I creating? I'm, I'm sorry. My, my dog yeah, is going to sure. ruin this interview. Okay. If I don't, if sure. I don't let her in here. Oh, okay. one second. I, I'm so sorry about that. Oh no, no problem. I have, I have yeah. two dogs. Carry on. <laughs> yeah. So, so like the, to me, it's that, that's how I, how I judge myself with, with, with what I'm doing now is like, you know, how many courses am I creating? How many books am I writing? How many videos am I producing? And, and not like I did a whole bunch and I stopped, but like, can I continuously, you know, have high quality output and sustain it over, over time? Again, just like, like a, an athlete, like they're in the reason why an athlete can do that is they, they're taking care of their body they get sleep, they get exercise. They're also investing in themselves. You know, they may hire trainers or nutritionists or like, and that's how I think about the stuff I do is I, I'm, I'm trying to keep a high output, but you know, also take care of myself. Uh, but, but then also do it over time. Mm, well said. And you brought up the nutrition aspect. I know you have a background in nutrition. How, how have you kind of integrated nutrition with I guess your, your high performance lifestyle, uh, where you're, you're basically the thought leader in this space right now. Can, can you talk about that a little bit? Cause I don't hear that conversation come up too much. With, with, I mean, I, there's a lot I could do better about nutrition, mm-hmm. but, but in, I, I do think that there's a few things that are fairly universal to most people. Like, um, you know, one is that it does look like there's some pretty good research around the intermittent fasting. I'm pretty, I'm pretty skeptical of a lot of diets in general, but even back when I graduated in uh, 98 from Cal Poly, long, long time ago, but I, but I, Cal Poly was one of the better schools in nutritional science. And I did study intermittent fasting. Actually, that was one of, that was one of the areas of research we did. And we did, you know, like, um, experiments on ourselves actually. So it's a pretty, pretty cool program actually. Um, but the research does look pretty strong. And I, so I, I do uh, try to do intermittent fasting. Um, okay. and I think it is actually like it, it adds some mental clarity. Like, so, I, so a lot of times I'll, I won't eat until like two. Hmm. Um, the, but I, in addition to that, um, I think that just the concept of like avoiding processed foods, again, I'm not perfect. I mean, I like, there's lots of things I could do better, but like, if you look at the research around anything that's like heavily processed, it's essentially just garbage. I mean, Mm -hmm. just complete toxic waste. Um, same with, uh, you know, drinking any calories at all. Like if it's, if it's alcohol, at least you're getting something from it, you know, like you're Mm -hmm. you're getting from it, but like, but like anything that has sugar in it, like, is just poison, like just complete mm. poison. Like there's no utility in it at all. It's like only negative outcomes. So, so I, those are a few things that I, that I tried to avoid is like, is just, uh, you know, super processed foods, um, you know, anything with sugar in it. Uh, and then, and then also I have, I do like to do the intermittent fasting. I, I think that's, that's actually a pretty effective and, and the science is pretty, pretty good around 
you know, the effects of it. Like there's some stuff from Harvard um, uh, that you can read on their blog. There's a whole bunch of stuff on intermittent fasting. Okay. Excellent. What do you think about uh, coffee or, or, uh, yeah, I like coffee. Lemon? Okay, cool. Yeah. I mean, I, I personally have a ton of coffee mm-hmm. and you know, the, again, kind of going back to the athlete thing a little bit, I think for programmers that there is a lot to be learned from that and that there, you know, if you, if I've experimented a lot in the last five years or so about how to produce a lot of code and, and have high output and, and I think that you can get very high output if you have a formula where you get eight hours sleep, you exercise, uh, you know, every day, like in, in a pretty, you know, like a rigorous form of exercise that's, let's say, 30 to 60 minutes. doesn't really matter what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe also like a break in the middle of the day, like, you know, um, you know, right after, if you do four hours of sustained output, take like a walk for half an hour or an hour and that clears your mind, resets it, lets you think about a problem and solve it while you're walking and then do another four hours. Um, and then uh, also just, you know, trying to be moderately healthy. I, I think, I think the, that combination for me has worked pretty well to have high output. I also mm-hmm. think, you know, being able to do some exercise as a form of a sport that's relatively not too bad on your body is also a way to not get burned out on exercise. Like the two sports I like are Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and bouldering. Mm-hmm. Bouldering is pretty safe in terms of, I mean, there are some things that you can do, you know, where you could get injured, you know, re- reasonably bad, but, but it's, it's like a full body workout. And it's like, it's one of the three forms of locomotion. Like, you know, you can walk and run or you can swim or you can climb things. And it's, so it's like a, you know, it's like a, a pretty essential skill to have. Mm-hmm. I mean, it maybe even could save your life, right? Like you could right. be somewhere and then all of a sudden you're like, whoa, I need to climb a wall. And then mm-hmm. if you know how to climb stuff. And then same with Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I like Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu because same thing. It's like, it's a sport. It's fun. I mean, there, there is a reasonable risk of injury, but it is, it, it is a very like intellectual challenge. Uh, and I think having those hobbies like that, for me are, are fun because also the people I deal with when I, when I do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu are like, now I would say 95% don't program and they're not in the tech industry. And it's kind of nice to just meet regular people and <laughs> talk about things other than programming. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Uh, great takeaways, sir. Thanks for sharing that. So I was curious uh, a little bit about your, your path. So how did you decide on becoming a machine learning expert in the cloud native problem solving niche so about 2010 well actually actually before that like let's say 2008 i was in new zealand working uh at um weta digital on the movie avatar a pretty okay. fun experience like one's fun working on a movie that was a cool movie one of the best of all time mm-hmm. and i'm in new zealand super fun experience yeah. the, while i was there there's some people i was friends with that were working for the university of Auckland and they were into statistics and they're just people I met in like Python user groups. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I, I've always been like someone interested in statistics and at the time. Um, you know, I just kind of on my own was just getting more and more into statistics. And then, and some of those relationships I had there, you know, led me to some, you know, people I, I became friends with in the Bay area remotely and then i i moved to the to the barrier and then i decided that i wanted to formally study more uh, statistics and probability and the really the only method to do that at you know at that point in my career was to do it in an mba program like like i wasn't necessarily interested in the mba at, at all actually <laughs> like I, I was only interested in the statistics Okay. like and and that was like literally the only choice i had so i was like well mm-hmm. i want to get better at this so i'm going to get an mba and then it, it did turn out to be like where i did you know there's some classes i accidentally took that helped me like teamwork and stuff like that but right. i mean i took every math class they had and and i also did python at the same time okay uh, and r and in fact it's funny because i i teach for uc davis <laughs> and i'll so the story, which is that, like, I, I remember I was in an advanced statistics class, and I told one of the teachers, who's super old school, like, 
almost you know like military old school like teacher i was like hey why aren't we using r <laughs> you know and he was just like almost was like gonna like just throw me out of class it's like it's like we don't do that here you know it's like whoa 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 and then and then later i get hired at uc davis and i'm teaching like r and python and machine learning so it's like but but that that was basically 2010 was when i when i was really kind of getting more and more into it and that's that's mm -hmm. right when like the statistics plus python and r all started to to kind of merge together so i was pretty well suited to accidentally be there for that explosion and then in the cloud that's was just a natural with you know working in the software industry um that's just kind of a natural thing that happened and i've always been into the latest technology and so i've, I've just embraced you know the cloud day one mm -hmm. excellent yeah that that was actually one of my questions why uh why pragmatic labs was based out of or why they chose to be based out of these two different uh new zealand and san francisco but i guess you developed some connections there yeah i have a lot of connections in, mm -hmm. in in the in the new zealand area and uh i go back there quite a bit uh, and i think i've maybe the last 10 or 15 years i've gone 10 times or something like mm -hmm. you know every other, you know every other year for a little bit just conferences things like that okay yeah i wasn't sure if they had like a uh, certain research that you guys were into over there or like what was the what was the driver to to have part of your just, I, just yeah just just i have connections over there and there's, there's okay. people that you know we work on projects and and it is you know, the thing that's interesting about new zealand is that it's an english-speaking country uh and so in a way it's it's actually a nice you know it's a nice offshoot uh, it's an, I think many people are realizing that New Zealand is actually a great location to mm. get uh, additional talent. Okay, awesome. Um, what is the incentive to becoming an expert in machine learning when we have stuff like AutoML? Well, I think, I think that, that machine learning in particular is like, it would be like rephrasing the questions like why why become an expert in python there's so many people that know python well because there's an in, insatiable demand for python programmers right right now it's the number one language in the world it, it's been going you know 25 years strong and it's in, you know invaded pretty much everything i think to some degree machine learning is like that too like it's just everywhere and it's i think it's just going to seep into like so many different things that people do like mobile development, edge-based computing, cloud, you know, cloud computing, you know, just all over the place, there's going to be machine learning. So I think it's more, it's going to be like table stakes where it's like, again, like Python or something where it's like, well, you kind of have to know that like, or you have to know cloud computing. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's this, the case where it's, you, you need to have a PhD to do really, um, you know, high level machine learning. I think it's actually just, like any other skill, like, again, like Python or mobile development. And uh, now data science, I think, is a little more troubled as a as a job title. Uh, and I think it's an ill-defined job title. I think I get it that at the time people came up with the word data scientist, it's the hottest job, all that's, it's like, I get, I mean, the hype machine is, it's fun to have those, you know, mm -hmm. but then, but then now that we've kind of flushed it out a little bit, it's like, well, what is that? Like, no one knows what it is, you know, pretty much all it's changing. It's changed very quickly that now, now we realize that there's machine learning engineers, there's data engineers, you know, data scientists is really not a great, you know, title, but I think in mm -hmm. terms of machine learning engineering in particular, that I, I don't see a slowdown uh, at all. And even if, let's say 80% of the job is done by AutoML. Just again, like, let's just take a mobile, let's, let's take um, iOS, you know, 80% of what you're doing is done by um, the Xcode itself is an incredible development environment. The Cocoa framework, you know, and Swift language has got decades of experience from, you know, next. And so a lot of times you're not writing a ton of code, you're just leveraging a bunch of work from other people. You know, and then the build server does a bunch of work. And so I, I think it's just, it's going to be the same as like, it's not going to, machine learning, in, in my opinion, is not going to go away. It, it'll be 
that it'll change so that you can be much more productive. Like I remember when, you know, I, I've done some mobile development in, in objective C and I remember when that was a big deal, like, again, this is 2009, maybe something like that. And it was like, Oh wow. Objective C, you know, like, and then people were writing, like there was a guy that uh, I created a user group in Atlanta, Georgia. And he, and, I, and a guy that came up was one of the, the top sellers at the time. He created the woo button. <laughs> and it was like, it, and like, it was like, well, what does it do? It was like, Oh, you have your app in the app store. It's like, wow. It's like, it's the woo button. And it's like, what is that? And it's like, well, <laughs> You push a button and it says woo. It's like really like that. People like people downloaded that. It's like it was like millions of downloads. Okay. I think I think that's kind of like what machine learning is a little bit. It's like the woo button. It's like it's like I did machine learning. It's like <laughs> yeah okay you know. But but then but then I think with stuff like as the the pipeline emerges, you know, mm-hmm. it gets stronger. Then here here's the analogy I I think about with with machine learning is um, why why would you just like the woo button why would you take like a year and do all this really like low level you know stuff that's crappy and not reproducible to make the woo button when you could just use all these libraries have all this automation like use test flight like if you just think about the modern mobile developer like all the tricks and tools they have they're they're like they're like a team of 20 people, like one person is like a team of 20 people. And I think that's going to happen with machine learning too, is that the people that embrace all of the cloud stuff, the cloud platforms, the automation, the AutoML, it, it doesn't mean you're not going to be doing machine learning and tuning it. You're just going to do it 20 times faster. And so, uh, you know, like a good example also would be, um, you know, like a company, like how many, a good question for a company to ask is how many machine learning models does your data science team create let's say a month, if the answer is, oh, well, we haven't done that yet. Well, that's a problem. It, it, but if you use AutoML and use machine learning platforms, you could be creating, you know, a hundred a day. They could just be running automatically. And again, doesn't necessarily mean that the people go away. It's that now actually you look at all the AutoML models first and that's like your exploratory data analysis. You go, hmm, wow, we just ran a bunch of models and two of these actually look interesting. Let's grab those and let's actually tune them and let's see if we can make them a little bit better. But like, why would you do that yourself if a script does it for you? It just, it's, hmm. to me, it's nonsense. Yeah, there's, there's kind of two things that triggered in my mind there. One is basically what you're talking about is the difference be- between creating like millions of dollars of value and, and literally just never, never finishing the race that you started. So, uh, man, that is, that's crazy. And then the other part is like, the, the there's some good and there's some bad from learning resources, especially like the free ones online. It's like you could totally get into the weeds learning all of this uh, stuff that's super low level when when really you could just be focusing on something else. So how do you like what kind of advice do you have to someone that wants to create millions of dollars of value by leveraging those technologies? Maybe they don't know about where you know what is exactly should be in their toolkit. Like can you? Can you put a little color on that? Yeah, I mean, if you let's let's again go back to iOS because mm-hmm. I, I have a pretty good, you know, like background and history around like Cocoa programming. I actually built okay. a um, reasonably successful desktop app for the App Store when it first came out that found like duplicate files in your file system, and that was that had a good like several year run, and I built mm-hmm. that in like two weeks. It, so at the time, you had to use Objective C, like. And it's a horrible language. I know people love it, but if you look at Stack Overflow rate ratings for Objective C, it's just mm-hmm. just it's soul crushing. It's like mm-hmm. such a such a horrible experience, in my opinion. And, and people that were experts in it would just defend it to death and just say, right. you know. And, and I feel like the same thing if you look at mobile development. Like the barrier to entry was so high that like C plus plus programmers and C programmers which is the very low percentage of the population were the ones, the only ones that could develop, you know, um, software. And so you, I could see, you know, where you could go down a road and you're like, okay. And I've, I've heard people tell us to me before with machine learning and with, with develop any development in general, like before I even do anything productive, I'm going to spend five years like really mastering C plus plus 
and understanding all of the intricacies of memory management and pointers and all this. And, and, and there's certainly some career pathway where that would make sense. Mm-hmm. But if your goal is to, let's say, make mobile apps, I think that's just a complete waste of time. Just, I mean, absolutely orthogonal to your goal. Mm-hmm. And same thing with machine learning. It's like you could do the equivalent of C++ mastery and go like super deep into like every nook and cranny of like all the different, you know, aspects of certain parts of machine learning. But then if you don't ever produce anything, you're, you're basically one of these tinkerers who just burned up five years of your life learning something that in theory, maybe you can go get a job at Google or something, but it's, that's a different uh, pathway than being uh, somebody who produces mobile apps. Cause I actually know a lot of people now that over the last 10 years, you know, started their own mobile app companies. Like many people I know did that and they, that's all they do. They just create mobile apps and they, they, but, uh, but I, I can tell you how they did it. They didn't, spend five years learning C plus plus and, and, or, and, or like knowing every nook and cranny of objective C they built stuff. They just built stuff and they kept building stuff. And every time they built something, they got better at it. So I think that's really the takeaways is to Hmm. get past all the, the stuff is like, is like, you know, what is the, you know, what is your opt, what are you optimizing for? Are you optimizing for like, you know, exotic, tricks or are you optimizing for like you produce something and if you're producing things you're and that's your goal and that's what your focus is and you have a goal in mind for the beginning and then you reverse reverse engineer what you do to to support that any career you have will be much more successful including machine learning Hmm. okay excellent so what do you predict will happen with uh python's dominance in in the machine learning space is it yeah, I'll just leave the question there for you. Um, I don't see, I don't see in the short term, the next five years, anything happening with Python. It, mm-hmm. It's, I have mixed feelings. I mean, I, I am fairly well credentialed with Python. I'm a, I'm a Python Software Foundation fellow, and I've mm-hmm. written you know three books and all this stuff. Personally, I'm like eh, about Python. <laughs> like I've I've done it for so long, twenty years, and I'm mm-hmm. like. Eh. I like, I, I think Python's okay. Like, I mean, there's lots I like about Python, but I'm not like at this point in my life, I'm not like, um, what is it? A, an evangelist of it. It's like, okay. You know, it's like, it, it's, it's like a brother or something. It's just like, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, it's like, it's like, you know, it's, it's just this, it's like a, I can't get rid of a family member. It's just, <laughs> you know, it's like, it, it's like, it, so with, with Python, I think it's, the, one of the issues with it is that that there's a lot wrong with it. So okay. you know, like concurrency is all messed up, and they've for years, you know, said, "Oh, it's never a problem." It's like the the biggest cognitive bias of all time is like is is that you you have a problem. It's like you're a drug addict or something. It's like right. it's like it's like oh no, but but drugs are good for you. It's like, <laughs> it's like, yeah, but like they like like yeah. Well, like when I shoot up heroin, I'm real productive. And it's mm-hmm. like, wait, hold on, hold on. Right. Like that's a problem. You right. the same with Python. It's like, it's like you know, like like oh, but yeah, you you know, it doesn't work with threads. It's like, yeah, that's a problem. That's a real mm. problem. Like I'm sorry, but like no matter how you spin it, it's the equivalent of saying heroin's good for you. Right. And there's problems like that that are like, eh, you know, uh, the but. What is good about Python is that it just happens to be good enough for so many things that it just is not going to go away. It's just, it's so sticky that hmm. it fits with a lot of, you know, things that people do. I don't see it going anywhere the next five years. Now, do I, I think in the future, there are some opportunities for better languages. Like I think Swift is a good example where, you know, it's the same light feel of Python where it looks kind of like Python, but it also has some things that like Python doesn't have a compiler. And I think that's a, to me, that's, that's really the, the language of the future is that you have an interactive interpreter plus you have a compiler. It's ridiculous to not have a compiler. Mm. I think at some point there is, that is going to happen is that there's a compiler that does things like type inference and checks all these bugs and figures out all the stuff for you, optimizes your code, makes it faster 
Um, but, but I don't, I just don't see in the short term, you know, it's good enough. I mean, it's not great, but it's good enough. And because it's good enough, it's just not going to go away. It's got so much traction. Who's like a runner up you think for the, for the AI machine learning, uh, void that maybe like Python could become kind of, uh, well, not, not our, not not our, (laughs) I mean, I, I, I've done our, I actually a lot of years and years of R and I know lots of people in R Mm -hmm. and, and I very, very smart people in R that just like Python, they have a cognitive blind spot and they're like, Oh, but R is so much better. Mm -hmm. Why aren't people using it? It's like, let's just, let's look at it. Like if it was that much better, people would be using it. And for various reasons, R has not taken off. And let's just look at cloud computing is a really good example. Mm-hmm. If you have no libraries for cloud computing, like where's the Bodo of R? It doesn't exist, right? right. Like if you don't have that, you're dead in the water. You're mm-hmm. done. And so I don't think it's R. Uh, I think, I mean, I don't really know, but I think a language like Swift, like a, that kind of a style of a language okay. is interesting. I mean, maybe even like C Sharp, you know, potentially is 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 got the whole Microsoft baggage is bad for C sharp, but, hmm. but like th- those languages that have, you know, just in time compiler, they have, you know, a compiler, they have, you know, some kind of type inference. They have a great development environment. There's some kind of a company that might be somewhat associated with it. Like, you know, I, th- I think those are, yeah, like Swift, C sharp. Um, I-, I think those are, those are some interesting languages that look like they're constantly evolving and, Mm-hmm. maybe uh, but but i don't know i th- I think scala like i, I think uh, i also think that's going to be a niche language because it's a little bit like r and that that um they, they i think they got a little too too cute you know like a, like too functional like i mm-hmm. like functional languages but the, in order to be like the most popular language you also have to you also like people that are not elite have to be able to use it. And right. I think that's really the, the, the thing about Python is you can be like a junior programmer and be really productive in Python. Mm-hmm. You can't pick up Scala and be a junior programmer and be productive. And that's why yeah. it's not going to be Python. Okay. So someone that's kind of going through this progression in their career, maybe don't be so religious about Python as like this Holy grail thing but it might be a good place to start and then just keep an open mind and stay up with the the trends. Cause it's really hard to say what is going to be the best language to be leveraging in 10 plus years. Is that kind of what I'm getting from you? Yeah. I mean, I, I think, I think if you look at um, a lot of the stuff that's happening right now, that's troubling in the world, like politics, for example, what's, what is part of the problem is that there isn't any more uh, like a discussion about the merits of things it's just what team you're on. It's like, Oh, you're, I'm a right person or I'm a left person or I'm a this or, and, and, and it's tribal. And the same thing happens in sports and it can happen with a language. And there's nothing worse for intellectual development than to go like, Oh, well, you know, Python's the best. Like it's, there's nothing could be better. I mean, that's, that's, that's cancer of the mind. And, and it's, you know, I would just, yeah, again, have an open, like you said, have an open mind and embrace whatever works and be, be willing to abandon it as soon as it is not as good anymore and, and don't have an ideology. Just don't care. Right. Yeah. That's man. There's so much gold in there. Like i I think, right. I feel like you could apply that to anything in life. Like the faster that you can kind of eliminate something, you're like, okay, there's something better. We need to go over here and just not having emotion when it comes to making that decision, probably easier said than done, but yeah, I, I think because again, people get really tribal and if, you know, I've actually been, I built a social network before without the last company I worked at and I built recommendation engines. And I, so I kind of have some like scientific research around recommendation engines. And one of the problems that I see with them is that it, it creates this thought bubble. And, and if you, you look at the algorithms around them, they're like, you know, you're encouraging people to, you know, listen to ideas uh, that are the same. But if I, I've actually the last several years been intentionally trying to read like the opposite opinions on things. Like I don't have a Twitter or Facebook account, so I don't get influenced by that at all. I, it's actually blocked at the host level on my computer. I want no 
I don't even, it's like, to me, it's like tobacco. It's like, right. I, I would, I would rather put chewing tobacco in my mouth than be on Facebook. And I know mm-hmm. several people that have died from chewing tobacco. Hmm. Um, and I actually intentionally try to read like opposite websites. Like I'll, I'll go like a real right wing website and just read the comments and just like try to think of, see like, what are they, what are they, what are they thinking? Mm-hmm. And there's, there are people, they have very rational thoughts about the thing. And then also read like a hard, hard left. And, and, and what's interesting is, is that these people have a lot in common with each other, but they're just talking past each other because they, they cartoonize the other people. They just, they, they take like, uh, like a you know a fake persona of someone draw a cartoon around it and then like make fun you know like mm. break it down it's like that's not the, the on each side those aren't the real opinions these are, these right. are like you know these are fake opinions about and so the same thing works with anything you know like again like oh well because i'm a python person i'm better and and it'll never be wrong and then you cartoonize like any competitor and then the R people do that. You know, I think it's just human nature to like create this like fake cartoon of the person or the idea that you want to attack and then, and then say all these cartoon things like you're, you know, you're making this like TV show out of it. It's like, and like 10% of it's true and 90% of it's just BS. Hmm. And, and that's, that's like, to me, that's one of the problems of our society right now is like, is instead of, instead of really looking at issues and, and, looking at the merits of, of, you know, why does, why does 50% of our, why does 40% of the population want to vote for Trump? Why does 40% of the population want to vote for Democrat? There, there, there has to be something in there that's a good signal. And can you, can you reverse engineer it and, and, and figure out not the cartoon version, but the real version. And I think you can apply that to programming too. Like there, there's lots of reasons why people are using other languages or using Python or using R or using what are the good reasons and, and can you sift those out and not get into like the tribalness? Yeah, uh, that's, that's excellent purpose. Uh, like kind of like for a specific purpose, you choose the right language and that's kind of the sign of being an expert is having all these tools in your bag and you know when to apply them is what it's what it sounds like. So thank you for sharing there. So what, uh, what is your experience been like working with the Y Combinator startup. I know they have like a free startup school I was poking around with and that's like, seems like an awesome resource, but I was curious about your particular experience with them. Yeah. So, um, I think anybody can, you know, if you have a startup, you can basically go and, and get free courses from the Y Combinator school. And, um, I, I know some people that are in Y Combinator as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think I think it's not a bad if you're not a bad resource to kind of you know sign up again for free and and get you know free classes and get information uh, you know about the startup community and just like you know like Hacker News you can get a free account and you can sign up and you know create posts. I think I think it's I would say like it's like a you know like Hacker News plus plus. That's that's probably what I would describe that as. Mm-hmm. Okay, perfect. Uh, do you think we need more machine learning experts in the world? Yeah, I think, I think, I think that, um, by what I would call an expert might be different. What other people think of as an expert, I would say, uh, I think we need more, um, practitioners just like, you know, like, let's just take Python again. Do we need more Python, you know, gurus? I would say no. Like, but do we need Python programmers that produce things? Yes. Mm-hmm. And I would say the same thing with machine learning, you know, people that produce machine learning, there's a crisis right now, for sure. I, I, I've been talking a lot to universities all over the world about this. And also AWS, Google, Azure, I have relationships with all those companies. And there's a big crisis for cloud and for machine learning. And I think it's more that the crisis is around around the talent that that it's not that they need the you know the one million dollar machine learning engineer it, they they need people that can produce results mm. and I, that and so i i think there is a there is definitely a huge opportunity for people to um be cloud uh, architects and also mm. machine learning practitioners I, I think there's and data engineers i think those are all you know insanely good opportunities you know for your career 
Okay, perfect. And what what industries do you believe are under leveraging uh, the power of AI in the machine learning niche? Uh, I think I think some of the companies that have been really hesitant still to go to the cloud. I mean, there are, there's problems with the cloud. I mean, look at Capital mm-hmm. One; they got hacked. I mean, <laughs> that's pretty bad. Right. But but you know, I think a lo- there's there's definitely still companies that are like, oh, the cloud's BS. You know, like, well, no, it's not. <laughs> and, and and I think the companies that have have been really like kind of dragging their feet in the cloud sometimes also maybe are dragging their feet on um, AI and ML that, that might, that might be, you know, one area. And I think another one and part of it, why they may be dragging their feet is that I have definitely had a little bit of a, you know, insight in here that sometimes companies also the ones that don't want to use the cloud because they didn't build it. they also don't want to use auto ML or use a machine learning platform and they're skeptical of it. And I think, this has been my experience in, in looking at the last 30 years, because I've actually been working since I was a teenager in um, professional jobs that uh, you, you, you have to use the tools that other people built or else you're going to be doing really ineffective workflows. And mm. the, the cloud providers in particular, uh, or, you know, or let's say a company like H2O or, you know, those kind of those higher level tools and platforms really, in my opinion, are going to make someone much more effective. And I have, I don't own stock in those companies. I'm not trying to evangelize them. It's that Mm -hmm. you don't need to be building this yourself. It's, it's a a fundamental uh, component of um, microeconomics comparative advantage. You don't want to be micro Michael Jordan shouldn't be mowing his own lawn. Right. Like you, you shouldn't be doing things that are not your specialty. And I think, I think those are the companies that I see that have the problem with yeah. AI and ML is that they're not, you know, A, they may have already been skeptical of the cloud and then they also don't want to use a platform because they have, for, for some unknown reason, they want to do, do all this themselves. And, and I think that's a mistake. Yikes. So if somebody were to be involved with an organization like this, do they try and like help kind of steer the ship or should they run for the hills? Well, I would, you know, I can say this now since I don't really have a job anymore. I, I completely am, you know, I work for myself mm-hmm. that what I would do if I was in a company like that, I would, I would, if I knew that, that, that that's what the company should do, I just do it anyway. Okay. Like my, my entire career, I did that. Like someone would tell me, like my boss would say like, you can't do that. We, that's not what we need to do. It's like, okay. And then I just smile and then just do it anyway. Yeah. And I would say that's a great, like what's going to happen. Like when you, when you know how you can help a company and then right. you need, and I was actually thinking about doing a, maybe like an article about this at some time is that, you know, you're in trouble when you need to ask for, for permission to be successful. Mm. And that's what that really is, is like, is like you're working somewhere where it's like, can I be successful? Like, I'd really like to be successful. You let me. And they're like, no, you cannot be successful. And I'm going to crush your soul. And you're going to do stuff that won't help the company and and will stagger your career. And that's my role. (laughs) And it's like, when you, when you, when you encounter somebody like that, my advice would be just do it anyway. And if you get fired, who cares? Go get a job where someone like, by the time they figure out that you're doing the right thing, which they try to crush, you already will have the skills and then just go get a job somewhere where actually there's competent people. Mm, man, that is, that is just freaking awesome. So what, what are some like really uh, uh, exciting kind of applications of machine learning today or like a trend that you see kind of going into the future? Um, I don't know if I have the, I, I don't have it on me, but like those, um, those those uh, Intel Movidia sticks are pretty cool. I think I think edge based machine learning okay. is is actually fairly mature now, and, and it's still just kind of getting ramped up. Uh, I teach a few classes uh, in, in edge based machine learning at universities, and uh, the idea that you can train a model and then deploy it to this edge device, and the edge device does the prediction. I think there's so many opportunities for that, and hmm. uh, and that it's almost like the the golden era of like edge-based ml kind of like okay. ios development where 
like, let's just take a really simple example of, I mean, can you imagine how helpful it would be to, you know, take a, take a, an edge-based stick like that, like a USB stick and, and plug it into a camera and then train it to detect criminal activity, mm-hmm. right? Like automatically anybody that's got a camera is going to be like, wait, I need that. Like, like right. why would you, you know, why, who wouldn't want to have a highly trained camera that knows how to detect criminal activity, mm-hmm. right? Like that's a perfect example where like you can just think of so many different examples of, of things you could do at the edge where, where, you know, it's not going to be training a model. It's just going to be doing the prediction and it's low power and you can put it anywhere. I mean, it could, there could be edge-based machine learning models that help your irrigation system, right? Like, like, you know, it detects, you know, uh, looks at the air, looks at the picture of the air and figures out like how much uh, moisture it should release based on how much sunlight there is or, or how dry like the, the, the leaves of the, the grass are like, there's so many things you can do with edge-based machine learning and, hmm. and the tools are out there and they're pretty cheap to develop. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because the whole IOT space is, uh, uh, there like it's certainly booming, but there's also like this concern of security. Like maybe we're growing too fat or building, building this thing out without having uh, considered all the security consequences. I was wondering like, what do you, what do you think about that with, you know, you have this like highly trained camera, yeah, (laughs) like does a certain thing. And then what do do you think about that? Well, yeah, I mean, I I think there are some, like there, there's a trade-off where you speed, you know, speed and also accuracy, you know, are are kind of in conflict and they, Mm -hmm. you know, in anything. Right. And so, the quicker something happens, the the more it's going to have problems and it, it'll, it'll need to be adjusted. And I think, yeah, IOT and cloud computing, there's some parts of it that, that need a little bit of help. Uh, I think that the tools, and that, that might be another reason to use platforms, right? Is like, it, it may be really difficult to fully know all the things that are going to happen without using some platform that the controls a, a lot of the security threat vectors for you. So a good example would be, um, you know, to train machine learning, you're going to need a lot of data and you're going to have to put the data somewhere. And then you're going to need, you're going to, need to compute on that data in the same spot. And so what does that mean? It's the cloud, right? Like, I mean, you mm-hmm. essentially, like if you talk about machine learning, it's very hard to not say the cloud. I mean, the cloud gives you um, the ability to do on-demand computing, you know, infinite compute, infinite CPU in, you know, relative terms. And, and so you also are going to need to figure out a way to secure it. And, and I think that also is going to happen is that there'll be things like maybe it'll be blockchain or maybe it'll be, you know, some kind of system like that where you can detect when data is moving and it shouldn't be moving from your system. And maybe you stop it at the network level. But I think the way to solve that is, is you, again, you just, you don't do it yourself. You, you leverage uh, like the high level platforms mm. and you, you'll just inherit all the good stuff. It's just impossible to do that on your own. It's just the, the scope and the scale is too high. I, I think there's so much uh, knowledge right there that you're just dropping for people that are kind of like, maybe have like a little bit of an ego thing going on where they're like, I want to build the tool from scratch type thing. Like you're, you're really, I'm a proponent for like, no, go out there, look for the best tools and divorce it as soon as a new best tool comes along. And I, I love that so much. Well, it's, I mean, just let's, let's take your, a car. Like if you, if you look at a 1960, you know, 60s something VW bug, mm-hmm. I still am old enough to remember that people used to like try to trick those out all the time. And like every day their cars on blocks in front of their house and they're like right. pulling parts out of their engine and adjusting the carburetor. And like, it's like, really? <laughs> like, I mean, that's so much work. Right. And, 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 and it's a, it's a crappy car. It's not <laughs> a great car. Like, you know, it's like, why do that? Like, right. or you can get a Tesla and then the thing drives itself and you don't even worry about it anymore. Like, mm. I think it's the same thing. And then the thing is auto upgrading itself all the time is, it's like, yeah, if you, for fun, you want to mess around and build tools as a hobby, like a bird watcher or, you know, some other hobby. Great. More power to you. But if you're trying to get stuff done, 
and you want to get to work every day, rearranging your VW bug and fixing the engine on a daily basis seems very counterproductive. Mm, sure. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So uh, that's actually a really good segue. Uh, I, I was curious, how, how do you create clarity in your life on what to work on every day? Because you had mentioned you have this uh, lifestyle that you've found yourself or kind of worked yourself into. So with that freedom of... Yeah, I mean, I have, I have, you know, like longer term goals of like, you know, I want to make sure I'm an expert on certain things. So like cloud based machine learning in particular, I want to make sure I'm an expert on And So I, I'll break it down. And, you know, what are the things that are, you know, current that I need to be an expert on? And I'll mm-hmm. kind of put that in a to do list and, and crank through them. And then in terms of like making money, I just, I basically have like a queue based structure where I put all the projects where I make money in and I pull things off and, you know, just work on them. And it is a prioritized queue. Like if, if, for example, I'm working with a client and um, there's, there's no payment or, you know, like it's kind of murky that I get paid. It's like, well, that's not going to be high priority. Like, mm. <laughs> and, and, yeah. and, 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 but if I have a client and I'm working with them and there's a guaranteed like historical, like, revenue chain from it or something, then that's one of my top priority projects. And, uh, you know, not that I'm only money driven, but you know, when you work for yourself, you know, if you, if you spend your time take, you know, the equivalent would be, there's a expression of like, you want to know who to take out to lunch. If you take everybody out to lunch, you'll go bankrupt. Mm-hmm. You know, that like, it's the same thing. Like you can't work on projects. You can't infinitely work on projects where there's no ROI. Mm-hmm. So I, I work on projects where I know I get paid. And and so those are, that's really part of how I figure out what to work on. Okay, excellent. And uh, with all the experience that you've amassed up to this point, is there some way that you could kind of, like if somebody was just getting into the space and they're like, how can I do this? Is there some way that you could uh, recommend like a, a general roadmap or some way to kind of hack their way through it without taking like, you know, 20 years or something like that? Well, there's definitely no substitute for experience Mm -hmm. to some degree, but you can, I think, get, get some of the experience quicker in that I think it's about the results again. Like, and we started at the very beginning of the conversation about that, about the high output over a long period of time. It's, it's just, it's real simple. Like whatever it is you say you're doing with Mm -hmm. your life, just look at the numbers. Like if you say you're a software developer and you don't write code every day, you're not a software developer. Right. Like if you say you're a mobile developer and you don't write mobile apps, you're not a mobile developer. You mm-hmm. say you're a machine learning engineer and you're not creating machine learning models every week. You're not a machine learning person. <laughs> to me, it's that simple. You got to have to be right. really truthful with yourself and look at the numbers. And if the numbers are different than what you say you're doing, then you need to make a rapid adjustment. Yeah, that's fantastic. It, it's not complicated at all. What you just yeah. said is okay. I hope people are enjoying this as much as I am. Uh, what, so, what do you say to somebody that's not using Click in their CLI projects? Yeah, I think Click is kind of a no-brainer for command line tools. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if you look at, I happen to have met um, the author of Click. Just kind of, I wouldn't say met like internet met him a little bit like Hmm. when he first emerged and and i could tell like within like a month of of him emerging i was like oh this is a pretty smart guy (laughs) so so i just whatever he did i was like "Hmm, i'm gonna listen to what he's doing and and i just followed everything he did like flask was like great works i was like click Hmm. great so that's a lot of what i do too with with um with uh, Python or whatever it is, I just okay. find a smart guy or smart girl. And, mm-hmm. and I just, if they're doing something cool, it's like, okay, you did it. I don't have to do it. Thanks. Like once, mm-hmm. once I like mind melt with someone that I know that they're smart and then I just, whatever they do, it's like, great. I'll use it. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's perfect. So uh, regarding the concept that everyone or that everything is negotiable, how does one get fired and then unfired? Uh, yeah this is yeah so so uh (laughs) when i was at weta digital the um it was interesting where for whatever reason i like didn't have like a like had like some kind of a run-in with the with the cto at the time Mm -hmm. again this is fun because i i don't have jobs anymore i can just say whatever i want (laughs) and at the time i mean 
seems like a good guy, actually. I have nothing against him, but just whatever. We just something like I've never been fired before ever in my entire life. Just mm-hmm. whatever. There's some kind of like, like he was a C plus plus guy. I was a Python guy. It was just like something. I think it was really maybe I, I'm just guessing here, but like he had written a bunch of code and was learning Python. And then I rewrote all his code. It was like mm-hmm. a thousand lines that I turned into a hundred. He was like, he was like, he was like, why did you do that? It's like, it's like you use meta programming and like, like, I don't understand anymore. Like, I was just like, uh oh. Like, 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 and then one lesson I did learn is like, pair programming with the CTO is probably not good for your career. (laughs) Like, like, it's probably not. I was like, I should have thought about that. I was like, oh, but anyway, he was like, one day I was just like, you're fired. And then I was like, wow, how did I get fired? Like, what did I do? Like, and it was like a weird fire. It wasn't like you're fired, fired. It was like, it was like, you're fired, but, but like, not now we need you to finish this thing. Then then we'll fire you. I was like, like, wow. And I, I, I happened to be in a really beautiful place in in, Mm -hmm. in, um, New Zealand. I I walked down the beach and I was like, just like stunned. I was like, why is it? This is ridiculous. How can I get fired? Like, you know, just kind of like, and I was like in another country too. And I was like, Oh my God, like, this is like going to be complicated. Like, Holy crap. Mm. I thought about it. And I was like, this is bullshit. Like <laughs> this whole thing's completely bullshit. I said, I'm not going to go to the owner of the company. Right. Never met him before. Knock on their door and say, Hey, am I really fired? So I did that. I just drove back to Weta, went to um, the person that ran the company. Her name is Eileen. Um, she's, I think since passed away, but mm. I went, went to her door and just say, hey, I need to meet with you. And, and she accepted my meeting. And I said, hey, yeah, the, the CTO fired me. Uh, really don't know why I got fired, to be totally honest. And um, in fact, you know, when I got a job here, the president of Caltech gave me a recommendation. And, you know, I wrote a book and like, like I got a lot of good credentials here. Like, you, should, you know, like, why am I getting fired? And, and she got like, and she kind of dug into a little bit and, and she got like really angry, hmm. was really angry. It was like, this is ridiculous. Oh, wow. It's like, and she was like, get your stuff and come over here. You're <laughs> in my department now. She's like, she's like, she's like, yeah, I don't, I don't tolerate this. And then, and then I got a job with a different part of the company. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was pretty funny because like, then like a day later, you know, cause I, I literally, I went back, got my stuff and it was like, and then, and then I ran to the guy. I was like, and he could just tell it was like the life had been kind of like sucked out of him a little bit. It was just like, you know, like, no. like, and it was just like, yeah, nice try. It didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> and then I, and I yeah. And I, and I think I did a great job the rest of my time mm-hmm. there. And so I, yeah, that's, I think the lesson is like, even when you're on, death's door you you feel like there's no hope and every possible thing that could go wrong is going wrong is just like pause for a second relax think about it rationally look at the problem and it could be like a really simple solution presents itself but in that, that, that case I, I had heard really good things about this woman mm-hmm. and I, I, I was like she's probably a rational person if i just explain that i don't know what's happening you know, she'll rescue me. And, and that's exactly what happened. Yeah. Well, good on you to kind of persist in, in a kind of scary situation like that. So it paid off. So I've never been fired. I almost want to be fired now. Like I was, I was almost <laughs> fired, but like, but like, but then I unfired myself. That's, that's awesome. That did, that did, it's in my top 10. That's in my, that's in my top 10 <laughs> of all time moments in my life was unfiring myself. It's like, it felt good. It felt real good. Yeah. That's, that's freaking awesome. What, what is the best advice you have ever received? Um, I would say one piece of advice I, I got from one of the former presidents at Caltech was he, he told me that you should leave a job when uh, you're no longer learning something. Perfect. Thank you so much for that. Um, what are the top programming languages that people should uh, kind of keep on their radar? You think? Um, I, th- I mean, I think, I think Python again, just because of, you know, if, if you have, if you believe some of the stuff we've been talking about of, of just use the best tool for the job, even though it's old and it's got all kinds of problems, 
it is what people use and, and just look at the numbers. Like, I mean, I live my life like this. I, I, I do things very data driven. Just look at the numbers. Just, mm-hmm. I, I would say, forget even the, the, even the features and language or anything, just look at the numbers. Like just yeah. what are people using? Just pick that. Mm, perfect. And uh, what is the best video game or book ever created? Or you could say both if you want. Uh, I would say like video game Starcraft is pretty good. Okay. Like I still, I still play Starcraft. I, <laughs> I actually even play Starcraft. In fact, yesterday I played Starcraft two with my son. Awesome. I played Starcraft for like 20 years or something. Okay. Um, and then book, uh, let's see, that would be a tough one. I have, I have a lot of books that I, that I've read that are very good books. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, John Steinbeck's a good author. I like any of his books are good. Um, you know, it just depends on what the topic is and what the person mm-hmm. is. Okay. Perfect. Fair enough. Well, uh, with that being said, I want to I want to make sure folks know how to get a hold of you. Kind of, what is your call to action from here? We we've got a new book that is on pre order right now on Amazon. Can you just talk a little bit about this? Yeah, so there's a book um, Python for DevOps uh, by O'Reilly that I'm authoring with three other people, and are all like super smart people. Uh, and super experienced in Python and DevOps, and you can go on you can go on O'Reilly's website actually, and just look start reading the rough cuts now. And we actually really appreciate feedback on the book. Uh, and uh, you all, you could buy it too, but I think probably the best in the short term, the best outcome is just read it on rough cuts, and and then hopefully you know send send any of us um, a message on LinkedIn or. Or you can go to just noah.gift at gmail.com, send me an email and just say, hey, like this was good or this was bad. Mm-hmm. We want to make a really good book. Uh, and we're covering some pretty cool topics. Like a lot of the stuff that I talked about today, it, mm-hmm. it's covered in the book. Perfect. Yeah, that's exciting. And so the best way to get a hold of you is is LinkedIn or your, your email, I guess. Yeah, LinkedIn or email. Like I, I don't do Twitter or Facebook. Uh, just it's not my deal. Perfect. Well, uh, Noah, thank you so much for coming on the show and dropping all these knowledge bombs. I think people are really going to enjoy what we discussed today and uh, certainly some inspiration for their career and, and maybe where to go in the future. So, Sounds good. Thanks. Yeah, thanks, Noah. Mm-hmm.